You have 24 minutes, the podcast from 24 Hour Nation. My name is Randall White. One city in North America is on the leading edge when it comes to transforming its social and cultural scene at night. Today, we spend 24 minutes with Matthew Grandin of Montreal, Vancouver. You will hear about that innovative nonprofit organization, how Montreal is piloting expanded closing hours, the exciting Montreal Night Summit in May, and Matthew's recent experience as a music ambassador to war-torn Ukraine. Here's 24 minutes with Matthew Grandin. So Montréal 24-24 is a non-profit organization that sustains the development of nighttime economy and night culture in Montreal. Uh, the organization was created five years ago uh, out of a need to dynamize nightlife in Montreal and also try and help with the harmonization of the different uses at night. So between uh, nightlife users and residents, especially, um, we do many types of activities, but uh, we're mostly the strategic partner of the city of Montreal for the economical development of nighttime economy. We get funding from the city of Montreal and from the government of Quebec for uh, the different types of activities we do. We do uh, citizen participation consultation activities through the night council. Uh, the night council we run is a 12-person consultation table uh, that's made up of citizens of Montreal, can be uh, nightlife users or workers or uh, owner of venues or people who work in uh, harm reduction and public health, academics interested in night studies. So uh, since this is a citizen-based initiative, uh, it stands out a little bit from the other types of night councils you can see around the world that are more industry-based. Um, most night council have one representative from the restaurant association, the hotel association, the bars association, let's say. Uh, that's not the path we took. I think this came out of a need also that there was a lot of uh, citizen consultation tables that were complaining about nightlife and then in a kind of a jujitsu, judo kind of move, we adopted the same type of model, but for citizens that want to develop the night. The, the night council basically asks a question every year regarding nightlife activities in Montreal and provides an opinion on it. And this opinion can be addressed to uh, the city of Montreal or just all the stakeholders in general in nightlife. Um, and each year they pick a topic and they, uh, they have an opinion on it. We also uh, make research and studies. We've done consultation through that, but also like, the big study we had last year was an economical impact study regarding uh, uh, socio-cultural activities at night. So that means uh, uh, restaurants, bars, venues, shows, festivals, et cetera, et cetera, to assess the weight, the economical weight of nightlife in Montreal that hasn't, hadn't been done. So uh, there was just a very important study we did. Uh, we, we managed to assess that restaurants, bars, festivals, venues, all of that altogether um, provide the $2.1 billion in the economy of Montreal. And that if we ex uh, change the regulatory framework and abolish uh, last call at 3 a.m., which forces all venues to close, well, there's another 500 million that could easily be um, uh, attained. So that's 500 million dollars that was left on the table. Because um, I'm start starting to talk about this. this that's okay. We're going to. Because I know we we're going to get there eventually. We can segue there. There here right now. I do have your economic impact study parked on the 24-hour nation website. So somebody, anybody that wants to go see it, can go see the work. It is very comprehensive and very helpful. I think inspirational to other cities. So what did uh, you and your council and the city of Montreal? Montreal decide to do with that information? 
Well, I mean, this is, this was just an additional information because, uh, um, you know, the main reason we wanted to abolish Last Call was because citizens of Montreal wanted to abolish it uh, because, you know, the youth, people who go out at night thought that 3 a.m. was too early. Um, you got to take into context that, you know, in the 1970s, I'd say people would go out around nine or 10 o'clock. And now people are going out at like midnight, one o'clock. So there's less and less hours to operate and sell um, beverages. So this has an impact on event producers and club owners and stuff like that. So the the uh, economical argument was just like a, a a second one we had, the first one we want to stress out was that citizens of Montreal wanted it. And also that this was hindering the development of certain musical scenes. Uh, Montreal had been in the 90s, a hotbed for techno music after hours. We had a lot of after hours, but they were dry after hours alcohol free as it was in the 90s raves people would not drink alcohol in raves they would use other substances as these these kids grew up to be adults at some point they kind of uh, decided that you know just having a drink could be enough to, uh, to to go out dancing but they couldn't so um so the way we presented it was a bit of a harm reduction approach too because if when there's no ah. other substances too so you know i know myself you know i like to go out a lot i like i, like, I love electronic music and this is a you know this is something i had in mind since i was 17 years old i used to go out a lot and there was a lot of drugs in these in these events and i was like why can't i just go and have a beer and go home at 5 a.m with the first metro because that the other problem that last call creates is right. is a rush hour at 3 a.m. Sure, it dumps everybody out on the streets at a time and there's not mass transit operating and okay. Exactly, it's 10,000 people on the street of, uh, the, of on Main Street in Montreal and Boulevard Saint-Laurent so there's a lot of nuisance that come out of that and civilities, right. people binge drink because they, they they feel they don't have time to uh, to drink so they, they'll call shooters, they'll, they'll, they'll have five beers in three hours and then you know, then we kick them out, there's no metro, very few night bus expensive taxis so if we extend it people could just catch the first metro that that was also one of the arguments and you know we would have more people on the public space for a longer time but we would avoid the rush hour at 3 a.m which is the one that creates the most problem so this was the hypothesis we had and then we jumped into a series of pilot projects to test this extension okay of uh, of, uh, of of licensing hours and, okay. first and, so, and so you've done one already, correct? You've done one pilot evening that was kind of what, 36 hours nonstop or? We've done two. We've done two. We've done one last May, which lasted 29 right. hours nonstop with the bar service nonstop for 29 hours. Um, it was kind of like a marathon. It was symbolic. It was a statement we were trying to do. Right. And we amassed data out of that of that event. And also we did the second one in September, which was like a more regular rave, lasted 12 hours. So the data we were looking at is first the bar revenues, also what time people come and what, what, what time people start to leave. And also what are the impacts on intoxications? Do we have more intoxications, uh, more, uh, you know, uh, actions that need to be taken by paramedics for sure for instance compared to a regular night at this same venue because this is the venue we use is a regular venue for um, electronic music in montreal and also what were the impacts on noise complaints uh incivilities and on the public space and basically what did you find out what data came out of that well 
it doesn't change much. This is basically what came out. Uh, it can it, it it has a, a strong positive impact on bar revenues because right. we a little bit over doubled the revenues at the bar because you know uh, you start event, you start this type of electronic music event at 10 p.m. but people start showing up at midnight. So basically, you have two three hours to sell uh, beverages. But then right. at 3 a.m. from three to six, you're packed. So this had a really strong impact uh, economically. But in terms of intoxication, we did not have more than we usually have on a regular night at this venue, which is about 2,000 people. So we'll have two or three cases of people who are have drunk too much uh, or are a bit intoxicated with drugs and you know need a bit of help. That's about what we had. We did not have more noise complaints than usual. This venue has a problem with one resident in particular. They he always do. That night yeah. anyway. Right. And he did not complain at 5 a.m. He complained at 11 p.m you know, like he usually does, because it doesn't change. If you have a noise problem, you're going to have the noise problem, whatever the time you're doing it. The, the big thing is that we did not have this rush hour at three. This changed a lot, you know, changed the experience of the users a lot. And uh, from the feedback we got from the users, because we sent them a survey, a lot of them were really happy that they, they were not stressed to drink. You know, they had time so right. they could space out a little bit more their drinks because they didn't feel like, oh, the bar is going to close. Let's hurry up and drink, you know, faster um, so they could have a drink and spend half an hour, an hour without a drink, then get another one. So it did not change much uh, in terms of uh, impact on public health. I, I often make the, the parallel with the legalization of marijuana we did in Canada five years ago, six years ago. There was a lot of, uh, you know, stigmatization and fears based on that, that, you know, the city would stink marijuana and people would show up high at work. And in the end, it happened and didn't change anything much. So, Right. Okay. So is it your sense that these hours, these operating hours, these closing times are, are a holdover from what? How, why do we even have them? Well, it's a good, it's a really a North American thing. You know, you see that in Europe, but not so much. And it's usually later, you, you know, I think. In Europe, if it's if it's a conservative city, we'll close at 5 a.m., you know. Right. But I think it dates back to prohibition, uh, uh-huh. basically, how alcohol is heavily regulated in North America. And, you know, Montreal was always seen as a late city with a 3 a.m. last call compared to Toronto, which at that time was 1 a.m. Now they shifted it to 2 a.m. And even, you know, you, you still have dry counties in, uh, in the United States, you know. Sure so, we do, yeah. You know, so so compared to New York, Montreal was a bit early because New York, you know, you could go until five and a lot of venues. But now we're trying to just like get away from this idea that we need to regulate that and that venues should close basically when they're not profitable anymore, when there's not enough people inside to be profitable, because that's when, you know, you avoid kicking out all these intoxicated people on the street. Right. So, when people leave when they want to leave also they, they're you know they're tired they want to go home at that point they're not looking for the after party they're not looking for the girl or the boy who talked to them and they're not asking let's go party at my place we have booze at your place and then make noise in their apartments and wake up the neighbors so you know um i think it's just like more natural uh in that way and and okay. the, the projects we did um uh, actually what happened that the results were so positive that now the city opened made, made an open call for projects from different organizations and now from uh january to march there's a, a dozen dates of, of other festivals and artists collective event promoters that will be 
able to test this extension. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And so one of the next pilot tests will be during a conference that you all are planning in a couple of months. So tell us about that. I'm, it's very exciting that Montreal wants to position itself as this kind of connector between North America and Europe when it comes to looking at the night. Yeah, it's always been the the DNA a bit of the city. Montreal is seen as the perceived as the most European city in North America, probably because we speak French. Um, you know, uh, uh, we have a old city that dates back. You know, when you walk around, you almost feel like you're in Europe. Um, so we started this initiative, this initiative of the Nightlife Summit three years ago. Um, part of it was to educate the decision makers here in Montreal. Right. Because the decision makers, the politicians, uh, the civil servants, you know, the people who go to bed early and wake up early, and they make decisions that impact nightlife, but they don't know anything about it. And sometimes they have prejudice against it. Right. So by organizing these conference talks, panels about not the night, uh, we could educate them and, and make them make more sound decisions uh, uh, that impact nightlife activities. So these two days of conference uh, address the topic of the night from many different angles. It's a multidisciplinary event. Uh, we, we, we discuss architecture, urban planning, economy, culture, security, health, technologies, you know, and we, we're trying to bring thinkers and stakeholders from all over the world uh, to Montreal to kind of make it an, a really international event that bridges. Because we have a really strong scene of nightlife, nighttime governance in Europe and another one in the States. And they're made, they're very different. And I think in Montreal, we have this position where we can see where they're both heading and we're trying to, 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 to create a dialogue between them and create a really international event in that regard. And of course, we talk for two days, and then uh, because we're nightlife people, we party for two days. So we're going to be having uh, another nonstop party this year in Montreal. Right. The, Is that uh, the, the one that's thirty-six hours? That's going to be at least thirty-six hours. We're okay. still discussing it. Uh, we might get up to forty-eight right now. This is May. This this is the the conference itself. Tell us its name. It, uh, it's called Montreal Summit de la Nuit in French. It's the Montreal Night Summit uh, in English. Uh, it starts on May 17th, yeah. Wednesday, May 17th, and runs until uh, Friday, May the 19th. And then Friday at night on the 19th until Sunday morning, we run the nonstop event. And this year it takes place, uh, place in Old Montreal, in the Port of Montreal, with a fabulous venue. It looks like a tremendous setting. I saw yeah, some yeah. images of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and we have information about that. We have the information about the conference on our website as well as hope, I hope many North Americans and I hope all, all the night time economy managers of the American cities come up. So I think it's a great place to learn and to yeah. hear about the most dynamic and innovative projects around the world regarding nightlife. And some of the speakers you have coming in, do you know yet? I don't want to commit uh, right okay, now. Okay, okay, okay. We're, we're going to be uh, we're going to be uh, uh, publishing our headliners uh, early. Uh, well, at the end of the month of February, so next right. month we'll have a better All idea. Right. I'll wait. I'll but I wait. think there might be a guy called Randall coming, but I don't know. Oh, I hope so. I hope we can figure that out. So um, 
in the course of the two days, do you imagine the, the people that can come to the conference are not only just advocates, fans, but people that are curious about what's happening in terms of this whole nighttime economy movement, but you're also interested in some government officials, again, so that you can do elsewhere, uh, can kind of plant the seed of what's possible and what people are not thinking about for the daytime civil service workers. Isn't that correct? Totally, totally. I think it's a great place for uh, civil servants, elected officials in charge of nightlife in different cities uh, to come to Montreal, see what's happening in Montreal the same way and get inspired the same way we got inspired by what's been doing in uh, what's been happening in Berlin and Amsterdam. And, you know, uh, uh, it's a it's an, an event that's there to share best practices and get inspired. And then you can bring back home these good ideas. That's basically the 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 soul of this event. I've also found out that uh, connecting with other people um, who are working in the same area and establishing that network is also incredibly valuable to um, uh, totally. That's how we met, you know, yeah, so. yeah, that is how you and I met. That's terrific. So um, before we wrap up here over the holidays, your own background as a creative professional at some point also included, um, and I don't know if you still do. Do you still DJ? Yeah, sometimes I still okay. DJ. Well, you did, uh, and you did over the holidays too, didn't you? I did DJ in, uh, when I was in Ukraine. Uh, Tell us about that little Ukraine missionary music uh, expedition, because I thought that was a, a very profound use of electronic music in a country that loves electronic music and loves to dance at night in spite of the fact that they're being bombed. Tell us about that trip, Matthew. Well, I've been to Ukraine. It was my third time in Ukraine. The first time I was there was five years ago. I was supposed to be there for three weeks on vacation. I ended up staying two and a half months. So I have a big network of friends and contacts there. What struck me when I was there five years ago is exactly the dynamism of the electronic music scene. I felt I was taken back in Montreal in 1998. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it's brand new still over there, uh, this, this movement. Well, not so much anymore, but it was five years ago. And um, also, I think what struck me is that electronic music scene in the Western countries is often perceived as an hedonistic movement. Uh, we, you know, undervalue the political side of it. Mm. And uh, in Ukraine, it's really a political statement to go out at night and uh, listen to electronic music and be welcoming for minorities, uh, sexual minorities or racial minorities over there. Um, so it's a safe space for uh, the LGBTQ community, especially. And I think in that regard, nightlife can be an indicator and a vector of the development of human rights in societies, because under authoritarian regime, you might have nightlife, but it will be reserved to an elite. And, you know, it might not be this, this safe space for minority. And I think this is what makes Ukraine stands out. Uh, against Russia. And this is what they're trying to protect in many ways. Uh, I've seen just in five years, the, the, the shift in the visibility of the LGBTQ scene, you know, um, Ukraine is not perfect. Five years ago it was still a very homophobic place. And you, you know, you would not see the gays. Um, they were not out. And then when I came back, when I went back last year, you could see them. So the trip I, I took in, uh, I went last December is because I got invited by this foundation called Music Saves Ukraine, which is organized, which, which provides humanitarian aid to the war zones through musical events. It's organized, uh, created by this associate, association of musical events in Ukraine, so all the big festivals. And we were uh, 
you know, music ambassadors, night ambassadors that were invited by uh, this foundation to witness the destruction of Ukraine and also how people cope and uh, how resilient they are over there. And since I have a good uh, network of friends uh, in the the scene, I ended up DJing there. And yes, people do uh, do still party, even though, uh, you know, they're, they're dancing on uh, Putin's grave. <laughs> on I saw signs phone. to that effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a popular sign, um, and but most of it also uses uh, is used as a fundraising initiative for the war effort. So you know, not everyone is um, ready to. T- take a firearm and go fight, but mm-hmm. artists do it differently and they raise money for humanitarian aid. And also, you know, I met this uh, fabulous person who's a drag queen who buys drones for uh, um, Ukrainian soldiers and de- delivers it to them. And I was like, how are you welcome? Because he's really, he's really out and about, you know? So he was like, well, a lot of people, you know, especially people who, who serve, who are part of the military tend to be a little bit more conservative on those questions but being put in contact with a gay person who provides them with tools and stuff i mean it really helps destigmatize uh these communities and uh, you know change their minds about you know about the, uh, about the lgbtq peoples so yeah it was a great opportunity uh to, to go there once in a lifetime opportunity at the same time it was not a vacation it was like uh, you know it's 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 heavy a little bit like mm-hmm. You lack electricity half of the day. You can't organize anything. People have this feeling that they have no future because they can't organize their lives anymore. So, um, so yeah, it was a bit sad to see my friends, uh, you know, in this context, even though, you know, they have the spirit to fight. I've ne- met no one over there who told me to, you know, we've had enough debts. It's time to uh, to negotiate. Everyone wants to fight. And as long as there'll be one Ukrainian standing, I think they'll be fighting. But for everything else, of course, you know, you feel a bit like uh, it's a bit heavy, you know, um, in that regard. But um, sure, sure. Well, I could thank you for doing that. And I got to tell you, that I suspect nothing would frighten an American politician more than the idea of a drag queen with a drone. So. <laughs> Sleep well, America. This has been season two, episode two of 24 Minutes from 24 Hour Nation. Visit us at 24hournation.com and follow us on social media at 24hournation. My name is Randall White.